In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Well, I'm most grateful to be with you here this morning, grateful for the invitation from Father Jason to be with you and, and be with people in a, in a service of worship. It's a, it's a joy, albeit an awkward one, I believe. I don't know if you found some trouble adjusting just being around people again, um, but I know that I have. And speaking of, of that, I, I think I just wanted to talk about this odd thing that we have of wearing masks. It feels odd and strange, doesn't it? And, and I've, I'm, I'm finding that it's hard for me to communicate with my face with people when I walk by them. I give them nonverbals, but they don't pick up on them because they can't see my face, and so I have to use my eyebrows and eyes a lot more uh, to communicate. But it's really interesting with, with masks today that, that it seems like even the wearing of them has become some sort of divisive and, and politicized issue, unfortunately. Um, the act of mask wearing, the requirements, you know, who's wearing them, who should be, who isn't. Um, these have moved beyond the realm of simply adhering to guidelines set by authorities or, uh, and have come to the place where they've become sort of like signaling or even polarizing in our culture today. Mask wearing has been recently both described as a powerful act of love by one physician while by an elected official, it was characterized as an imposed act of tyranny and oppression, which must be resisted. And everywhere in between, people's opinions abound. Now, I'm not intending to sort of delve into the troubled waters of political debate regarding all that swirls around this epidemic. We get more than enough of that elsewhere. But for the record, I'm quite pro-mask. Um, I'm grateful for the planning and measures that have been taken in our diocese and churches like St. Andrew's here to protect one another, to reduce risk. These are good things. So why do I talk to you about masks this morning? The concept of masks and a mask wearing was brought to mind for me as I read this, this epistle and reflected on this reading from Romans this week. I was taken by this interesting picture evoked by the first words of this passage that are translated, let love be genuine. Or some other translations say, let love be sincere or without hypocrisy or my favorite from the King James, without dissimulation, meaning without pretense or, without con or a concealing of one's thoughts. The word picture here is a love that is in fact not masked. It does not submit to play acting or resort to play acting by wearing a mask, purporting to be something that it isn't. This is the real love that, that looks and acts like real love. This is love that is real and gritty and it's the intense activity of God's people in the world. It's a love that is unfortunately deeply deficient in our churches and our communities in our nation, and if we're most honest, in each of us as well. I don't know that I really need to convince you much of this deficiency. I assume you get the same news here in Pasadena that I get in Baltimore City where I live. Although I guess not, it depends on where you get your news from. <laughs> but our national political discourse, the violence in our communities, the, the heightened and almost immediate outrage and blaming and scapegoating, the divisions in our churches and families, we are 
in desperate need of a more sincere, a more genuine, and a more resilient love. Indeed, St. Paul is laying out this kingdom living ethic of love, which naturally follows from all that God has done for us through the gospel in mercy upon mercy. We're to continually offer our everyday living as a continual sacrifice to God. We're to offer that sacrifice as a community, a community made up of of different members with different roles and responsibilities. A key mark of this sacrifice is to not be conformed to the pattern of this world, a less than resilient and a a hypocritical love, but rather to be transformed by that love of God for the purposes of God in the world. This passage lays out with convicting detail what such a life that that is not conformed to the world's ways of masked hypocritical love might look like. And it is a tough love, which I intend with two meanings when I say that. A love that is certainly difficult to live out, and it's a love that is also resilient and strong. It's tough. We see this right away in the first of many admonitions. Let love be genuine or sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. What strong phrases. Here, the other one, some of which I will paraphrase a bit for us. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Be fervent in spirit. Rejoice. Be patient. Persevere. Give to each other. Be hospitable to those that you do not know. Bless and serve your enemies. Rejoice and weep with those who are rejoicing or weeping. Don't be full of yourself. Hang out with the down and out. Resist the urge to retaliate or to take revenge. Strive to live peaceably with everyone. Give food and drink to your enemy when they need it. Overcome evil with good. God, in your mercy, make us lovers like this, for we are not. But oh, that we were. How might the people of God better love and serve the world were our love to look a little bit more like this? And oh, how we attempt to mask this love. We we neuter it with niceness. We cover it with complacency. And we most certainly soil it on social media. I love what a civil rights activist and author once said about this sort of love. James Baldwin says this, love takes off the masks that we fear we cannot live without and know we cannot live within. I use the word love here, not merely in the personal sense, but as a state of being, a state of grace, not the infantile American sense of just being made happy, but in the tough and universal sense of quest and daring, and growth. This is the tough love of God to which we bear witness and to which we are called to embody in a world that is hungry and thirsty for it.
I must admit to you that this passage has been deeply convicting for me and has exposed so many of the ways I don't live up to this way of loving. I'm sure that there's at least one descriptor, one admonition from this passage that might cause the same moment of self-recognition and reflection for you as it has for me this week. Areas for growth, areas of deficiency, areas of opportunity. My wife and I, we had our son this year on Shrove Tuesday, a mere couple of weeks before the shutdowns and the stay-at-home orders went into effect. We actually got notification from the hospital that there might have been those who would have had contact with someone who was COVID positive, and so they were trying to reach out to make sure that everyone had been notified and would quarantine, um, and gratefully, we were not of those people. It was a very challenging birth experience for us. We had a longer than expected stay in the hospital, and now both my wife and son are very, very healthy. Um, but those challenges soon transitioned into those surrounding the pandemic that many of us have been living with now for six months. I, I must say, I don't recommend having a baby in a pandemic, if you can help it. Um, I give it zero stars. Um, but. We experienced isolation from family and friends. Our, my in-laws were only able to see him in this first week of life and then couldn't see him again until about two weeks ago. Um, confusion, we were experiencing like confusion and concern around the world around us and of course the typical loss of sleep of which today I am still uh, working through. <laughs> But with no relief in sight, everyone would always say, if you have a baby that can't sleep, get a friend or family member to come and stay up with them. <laughs> to which we said, yeah, well, we can't do that. We, we are our own friends and family right now. In a general sense, we felt robbed of the many of the experiences that others might have been able to have with their, their firstborn child. It's been incredibly challenging. And I, if I'm honest, I really struggled to see this time at, with a sense of quest and daring and growth. I've, I've not often been patient in suffering or ardent in spirit or persevering in prayer, if I'm to be honest with you this morning. I have much room to grow. And yet, we were on the receiving end of so much love, of meals and special deliveries and Grubhub certificates and FaceTime calls and texts and socially distanced visits and shared tears. I've experienced in a myriad of ways what it's like to be on the loved end of this sort of real, genuine, sincere love. And I just want to bear witness that I know that we wouldn't have made it without the genuine love of so many and such a trying time for us. We have experienced this genuine love. And indeed, it's only because we've received such love that we have the capacity to give it. And of course, we've not just received it abstractly or even in the, the tangible ways that I just mentioned with my family. We've ultimately received this love in the person and in the work of Jesus. This is what genuine love looks like. In, in the book of homilies, there's this sermon on Christian love and charity, and it says this quite well. I wanted to read a passage from it for you. 
of all the things that, that be good to be taught unto Christian people, there, there's nothing more necessary to be spoken of and daily called upon than charity or love. As well, for all manner of works of righteousness be contained in it. Therefore, you shall hear now a true and plain description or setting forth of charity, not of men's imagination, but of the very words and example of our Savior, Jesus Christ, in which description or setting forth every man, as it were in a glass or in a mirror, may consider himself and see plainly without error whether he be in the true charity or not. God is love. And Jesus is what God's love looks like and what God's love does. It's a tough love. It's a sacrificial love. It's a self-giving love. While we were yet sinners, put it, put it sides with God, enemies of God, Christ died for us. Indeed, our Lord Jesus has loved us while we were his enemies. We, he offered us his very life and bids us still to come to the table to, to drink, to eat, and to have the hot coals of genuine sacrificial love melt our hearts of stone. This is the hospitality, the love, the embrace offered to us by our God. How dare we not do the same to those around us as his people? and especially those we count as enemies, much less one another. So may we come to the table to again receive the love we are called to give to others, receive from the source of that same love. We will take his body and we will be his body, picking up our crosses to follow our Lord in loving the world as he would have us do it and indeed as he has done it. Is it tough? Yes. Yes. But this is the call of those who would follow after Jesus, the path of cross-bearing and of self-denial, as we have committed and commit to again and again our baptismal covenant to persevere in resisting evil, to proclaim by word and example the good news of God in Christ, to seek and serve Christ in all persons, loving our neighbor as ourselves, and to strive for justice and peace amongst all people, respecting the dignity of every human being. This is a lofty commitment. This is a tough love. But we will love in such a way, God being our help. So as you, only for a moment during the Eucharist, remove your mask in order to receive, the body of Christ. May that act of itself be for you a prayerful commitment, be for all of us a prayerful commitment, a commitment to the call and invitation to live a love that is unmasked such that we may reveal and proclaim the tough love of God to the world and then securely replace your mask as you go and love your neighbor as yourself. Amen.